All right, good morning, everyone. I'm trying to see if I'm streaming live to Rockfin, and it might be, not sure. Anywho, uh, welcome all. Welcome to the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ. Hopefully you can all hear me. It looks like you can. Um, happy Sunday to everyone. I appreciate you all being here. The usual suspects are here. Mark Brotherson, Vanessa Byrne, Doug Roth, Liz the Iron Maiden, my beautiful wife, Small Axe, good to see you, brother, Broken Bear, J.M. Grassi. This is going to be a good one today. We're going to talk about the nature of evil today. That's what we're going to talk about today. Um, I'll get to that in just a second. Just a few things to uh, before we get going. Here, let's play a little... Play a little. to start the morning service off. Um, welcome all. Thank you all for joining me. As you know, we do Sunday service every Sunday at 9 a.m. Central Standard Time. That's why you're here. So uh, next Sunday, I think we're going to do, I think two more. We're going to do Symbolism 101, and then let's talk about astrology, and then we're going to get into the book of Matthew. Uh, we're going to do, once again, chapter by chapter, line by line, verse by verse, letter by letter, number by number. You know how it is, We how we do it here. So... If you do get a chance, please stop on over and become a member at the site. Um, really appreciate if you guys, that's what keeps this thing going. I can't keep this thing going without your support. And I will only do this with the support of the people. So this will only go as as long as the people will allow it to go, as long as I get the support. So it's uh, super cheap. It's three month, uh, we call it tithing. Uh, it's 14 bucks for three months, or you can do a one-year tithing, uh, 54, and that gives you all access to, of course, the documentaries, the books, uh, tons of PDFs, a bunch of not only the old podcast, the Marty Leeds Mathematical Radio Hour, but also like a bunch of podcasts from uh, Manly Palmer Hall. Of course, you get, um, you know, basically you can read the books there, um, music, there's like 11 records that I've made there, so... Um, I keep it cheap because I'm trying to get as many people signed up as I can so I can keep this church up and running. So uh, if you do, also please ring the bell for notifications so that way, because some some things I'll put on YouTube for, you know, basically just like a, like a, a day or two and then they go off and then they go to the site. And that's just how I run things because we got to keep YouTube clean. So um, I'm hoping to be streaming from Rockfin. I don't know if I am right now. 
your stream is ready to go live. Um, I don't know. It's yeah, I don't know what's going on there, but I'll try to figure that out if I can. Ben Krupa, thank you for the four ninety nine. I appreciate that. Um, in the next week or two, we're gonna get all of these sermons. There's, they're they're gonna, you know, they won't be on YouTube. The only the latest one or two sermons will be on YouTube. Everything else is gonna be on the site, or on BitChute, Rumble, and Odyssey. We're gonna post all of that, and then um, all the sermons there. And so you can always watch it there. So we can try to drive people off YouTube if we can, you know. Um, and that's brought to us by Content Safe. Uh, Content Safe is a company that they, they, you know, I'm really grateful for them, honestly, because I don't, I have limited internet, and so they're the ones that actually are going to help me get this stuff out um, to the other, you know, um, other platforms. So, but uh, so if you want to watch the stream, the the sermons, they'll be there, and then we're going to have a bunch of premium content that I'm uploading, um, hopefully once again in the next week or so to Rockfin. I've already got that going. So, and that'll all be uh, if you want the links, that'll be available on the site as well. So, uh, Flattoberfest, uh, I hope you guys are going to be there. Oh, thank you, Small Axe. Let let's get this party started, folks. Pass the plate. Thank you, Marty and Jen. Thank you, Small Axe. I appreciate that. <sighs> Uh, I appreciate that. Flattoberfest, I hope to see you guys there. It's going to be great. Last year, Flattoberfest was fantastic. It's just a great group of people. There's going to be good speakers there. Benjamin Balderson's going to be there, of course. Uh, Karen B., of course, is going to be there. Austin Witsit gets it. Mark Sargent. I'll be doing a presentation called um, The Greatest Conspiracy on Earth, I think is what I called it, something like that. So um, I hope to see you there. It's going to be great. I think there's tickets still available. So if you get a chance, go on over. And it's flatearthfestivals.com, I think, is the place that you can go and get the info. Also, Jaron and Austin Witsit Gets It uh, are doing uh, the first, it's an online summit. It's an online summit, and it's called the True Earth Mount Miru Summit. Um, Friday and Saturday, November 11th and 12th. I'll be speaking Friday, I think, between 6 and 7. I think that's West Coast time. Don't quote me. But um, it's 100 bucks. but if you use the promo code, that's right, I got a promo code. I got a promo code. It's Marty50 and you can get 50% off. So if you do sign up, and I would love to see 50 or 100 of you sign up there because it's going to be great. There's a bunch of really great speakers. They got a great lineup. They really do. Um, you can go to Thames Live, which is True Earth Mount Miru Summit. True Earth Mount Miru Summit, Thames.live. And you can go and sign up. And if you sign up under my name, Marty50, you get 50% off, and like I said, I would love to see 50 or 100 of you show up. Um, there's a bunch of people. They, they just got Peggy Hall is going to be speaking, uh, Dave Weiss, Dave Murphy, um, uh, who else is Austin, with, you know, Austin, of course, Jaron, Comedy by Alex Stein and, and Big Bear, um, who else is going to be there? Uh, D-I-T-R-H, Dithurth is going to be there. And uh, it's going to be great. I mean, it, they, they really got a good lineup going. So, And I will be giving a, a similar speech there that I do uh, at Flattoberfest as well. So so please, if you get a chance, stop on over. This is also available on my website if you want the link. Okay. Today, we're going to talk about... I was going to do Baphomet, but there's just there was, there was enough to cover with just talking about the nature of evil because... This is a big subject. It's like, well, where did evil come from? Is God evil? Why did he make? Why did he make evil? Did what's? Is, does that mean God's evil? Blah. So we're gonna we're gonna go over this with a fine tooth comb today, and we're gonna discuss what evil is, where it comes from, why God has allowed it to exist, and what the purpose of evil is, and that's what we're gonna discuss today. So, um, before we do that, let's do a prayer. That's a good way to start out at church service, correct? Yes. God. Just for today, help me 
to remember that my life is a gift, that my health is a blessing, that this new day is filled with awesome potential, that I have the capacity to bring something holy, new, and unique, and good into this world. Just for today, help me, God, to remember to be kind and patient to the people who love me and to those who work with me, too. Teach me to see all the beauty that I so often ignore and to listen to the silent longing of my own soul. Just for today, help me, God, to remember you. Let this day be a good day, God, full of joy and love. Amen. Okay, so this is episode 36, and so I figured, hey, this would be, that's a very appropriate number to talk about the nature of evil, because, as we know, adding 1 through 36 equals dun-dun-dun, 666. And so uh, the 36 triangular number is 666, a number often associated with the devil, and we're going to talk about that a little bit today, okay? All right. Let's, um, let's go. What do we got here? Oh, thank you, Mark Brotherson. Tithe indeed. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I appreciate everybody. Um, did hurt. Yes, he's here. Make sure you use Marty's code. Yes, thank you. It's going to be a great summit. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, props to Jaron and, and uh, Witsit for getting that going. And I hope they continue, continue, uh, continue to do this year after year because a lot, a lot more of this is needed, you know. And uh, so it's going to be a great, great summit. So please, if you get a chance, go on over and show the people some love. Show them some love, people. Come on. You got to do it. All right. Let's talk about good and evil. Good and evil. Mainly evil we'll talk about today, but where it comes from. So before we understand why um, God has allowed evil to exist down here, the, the first thing we have to do is understand teleology. We, under, we have to understand that God has made earth for a purpose, and we have to understand what that purpose is. We have to understand what our predicament is, why we've been cast down here, and what we're, what we're doing here, where we come from, where we want to be going. So in order to understand and get a grip on what evil is in general, we have to say, you know, what's the purpose of earth, okay? Teleology is a, is, it's a noun, and in philosophy, it's the explanation of phenomenon in terms of the purpose they serve rather than of the cause by which they arrive. Now, we know the cause, right? We, everything comes from God, right? But what's the, so what, you know, we, we need an explanation of what is the purpose of this place, okay? And it's the doctrine and the, in theology, it's the doctrine of design and purpose in the material world. So in other words, what did God make earth for? Why did God build earth? You know, God made everything, and so God must have a purpose for doing this, and He does. Okay, and this is what um, this is what a true um, Gnostic approach will bring you to: is to understand who you are, where you come from, and what your purpose is here. Okay, so um, what is the purpose? Alvin Boyd Kuhn sums it up so beautifully and nicely. And if you guys are not familiar with Alvin Boyd Kuhn, do yourself a favor and familiar yourself familiarize yourself with him because. Fantastic esotericist, fantastic author. I've got several of his books and I ate them up because they were just so nourishing and delicious. So Alvin Boyd Kuhn says this, the great struggle in the human breast, in the human heart, the great struggle in the human breast between the impulses of the natural man and the implanted seed of, the, of divine growth is ever so critical. The forces of evil resident in carnal man so persistently powerful. The purpose of life in the flesh is to force souls who have come here from the Empyrean to exert themselves against pressure, stress, and strain in order to develop their greater potential divinity. Does everybody get that? The purpose of this life is for flesh, 
is for life in the flesh, souls have come down from the Empyrean to undergo, to, to have an obstacle course, to have, to have the, the challenges so that we may understand our greater potential divinity, to understand that Christ is within. And that's what actually animates and enlivens and illuminates us, all right? Um, and we'll talk about that and read right from John. So when we talk about earth, what is earth? Excuse me. Earth itself is where, this comes from the uh, book, Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's, it's the thing that I wrote. Earth itself is where man undergoes his spiritual rites of passage. And man has been sent down here by the hand of God himself to undergo this quest. Every being has been chosen by him. We are all chosen. Upon this quest, man faces many trials and tribulations. As much adversity and suffering happens here on earth, evil is often allowed, allowed to run amok. And the vile, sick, twisted, and tyrannical are often found ruling over with an iron fist, as we see today. Deranged despots wreaking havoc, fear, and despair upon the masses. Throughout man's mystical quest, these facts may dissuade him, engendering with him uh, doubts and thoughts of anger, hatred, and malice, testing his own faith along the way. Kabbalah is the knowledge system that secures within, within the initiate that none of this is done in vain. And there is a divine meaning and purpose in the often seemingly, seeming, often seeming meaningless of the wicked. Kabbalah recognizes the anterior force as a necessary obstacle created for man in his ultimate quest for the divine. Kabbalah teaches that man must struggle. He must have obstacles and challenges. He must often, even be often sometimes led astray so that his, by his own strength of will, his own fortitude of character, with his own heart laid bare for all to see, he will make his own way in his spiritual quest and have the strength to face whatever he finds there. Of course, what do you, what do, you do? Do you do this by yourself? No, you do it with God, of course, right? That's what the whole book is about, by the way. Man must have the courage to knock, and once the door has been opened, ha a walk through and face what is presented there. So it's one thing to go and knock if the door is open, but are you going to be able to face? Are you going to be able to handle what you see through there? Kabbalah teaches that one must traverse the highest of heights and see the lowest of lows, surmounting anything that derails him from pursuing the almighty one true God. Kabbalah teaches man to put on the full armor of God and send up the holy mountain, having the fortitude to overcome any adversity he faces, knowing that every step of his journey must be rooted in the grace and glory of the almighty Lord. It is understood that man has eaten from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We'll talk about that today. And now he knows as the gods know. And thus, one of the Kabbalah's aims is to understand the problem of good and evil. Now, what we understand is evil. God did not make evil. God has just allowed evil to exist. God has uh, allowed the potentiality of evil to exist. So what we, what we term as evil, what most people assume is evil, is not really evil. And we'll, we'll explain this here. A couple quotes from Carl Jung and Godfrey Higgins, and then we'll actually talk about the um, which which Kabbalah actually discusses this fluent. I mean, fluently and a lot. They really cover this notion. We're also going to read that the Orthodox tradition understands this as well. Um, we'll re read right from uh, Brother Augustine, the guy that I had a debate with. So, um, this comes from Carl Jung's Eon. Uh, Aeon, I think is how you pronounce that. Great book. I'm only a third of way through it or something like that, but. Evil is not a substance, for it is not God, it, for it has not God for its author. It does not exist. And so the defect of corruption is nothing more, 
is nothing else than that desire of an act of misdirected will. It all, evil ultimately has to do with the will, what you choose. The steel, as um, Augustine, the actual Augustine, St. Augustine, agrees with this when he says the steel is not evil, but the man who uses the steel for a criminal purpose is evil. And of course, this, this, this is the classic thing. You know, guns, are they evil? Yeah, guns are evil. No, when you use a gun against somebody and kill them, that makes it evil. The gun itself is not evil. The sword is not evil. Evil is a vitium, a bad use of things as a result of erroneous decisions of the will, blindness due to an evil desire. Um, and this is the Dionysus talked about this. St. Augustine talked about this. Evil has no substance or existence in itself since it is merely a, a, a diminution of good. Okay. One opposite is known through the other. We need these opposites down here to understand, to have the obstacle course, to have the challenges. You need the, you need the opposites, the, the, the hot, the cold, the light, the dark, the, you know, that sort of thing to understand that, hey, I've got a choice and I have to make the right choice and get that and get my soul, get, get, get that spark, that divine spark back to God. One opposite is known through the other as darkness is known through light. Hence also what evil is must be known from the nature of good. We need good in order to understand evil. We need evil here to understand good. Um, since every nature desires its own being and its own perfection, it must necessarily be said that the being and perfection of every created thing is essentially good. The being and perfection of every created thing is essentially good. And this is exactly what we'll find in Genesis. Hence, it cannot be that evil signifies a being or any form of nature. Therefore, it must be that by name of evil is signified the absence of good. Evil is not a being, whereas good is a being. Godfrey Higgins explains it like this. All things, and then we'll make a little mathematical metaphor to help us understand what, what, what we're being, what's being said here, okay? All things are derived by emanation from one principle, and this principle is God, the Almighty, from him, a substantiated power immediately proceeds, which is the image of God and the source of all subsequent emanations. That's exactly what we, you know, we hear in the Bible as well. The second principle sends forth by the energy of emanation other natures, which are more or less perfect according to their different degrees of distance in the scale of emanation from the first source of existence. So we have this light, it shoots out, and as it gets further and further and further away, it's still God. It's still good, but it gets further and further away from the ultimate source of light, unity, truth, that sort of thing. Matter, it goes on to say, um, matter is nothing more than the most remote effect of the emanative energy of the deity. The material world receives its form from the immediate agency of powers for beneath, from beneath, um, or far beneath, I should say, the first source of being. Uh, evil is a necessary effect of the imperfection of matter. Human souls are a distant emanation from deity and after they are liberated from their material vehicles will return through various stages of purification to the fountain whence they first proceeded. And that comes from Anacalypsis. So when we talk about the Bible talks about, hey, when he, when God, God Almighty created this place, it's good. The whole thing, it repeats it. This is Genesis. Genesis 1.10. God called the dry land earth and the waters of the seas, and God saw that it was good. And the earth brought forth grass and herb and yielding seed, tree, it was good. And then to rule over the day and night, made some light good. 
And God created the whales and every living creature that moveth everything after his kind of the winged fowl. And guess what God said? It's good. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, the cattle. And, the, the, and guess what? It was good. God saw every little, every, God, listen to this. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day and then he rested. So the entire time God is saying, this is all good. So anything that um, is created by God, of course, is good. Now, God made human beings and gave them the choice to choose. And we'll, we'll, we'll get into this in just a second here. We get the choice to choose to either go to the, you know, go against God, go as far away from God as we can, or, or go towards the light. This comes from Brother Augustine, and this is the orthodox perception of, of evil. And it's pretty spot on when it comes to understanding um, that evil is really a negation of good. But they're missing one key component as far as I can tell. So I'm just going to read this. The Orthodox Church teaches that evil as a concept has no ontological existence. It's true. That is to say, there is no substance or principle called evil. Nice work, Brother Augie. Instead, evil is simply a lack or deprivation of good. Sort of. Yes, it is. It's a negation of good. But in order to make an evil action... It re well, it requires will. It requires a choice. It requires action on behalf of human beings. When you sin, um, good exists, and where it is lacking, there is evil. When you sin, you are not acting on a principle called evil. You have fallen away from a principle called good. Amen. A couple analogies may be helpful. There is nothing called dark, per se. There is only a lack of light. When you turn off the light, the light is gone, and you experience darkness. But the darkness is simply a deprivation of light. There is no principle of darkness for Orthodox Christians as one might find in a dualistic religion like Zoroastrianism. They always claim that all this stuff is dualistic. It's not. We understand that the left, the right, the good, the evil, the light, the dark, you, ha you need the, the perceived duality. All of this comes from one. All of this comes from God. All of it comes from the one source. End of story, period. So there isn't duality, just like there's the heavens and the earth. Guess what? Genesis 1-1 tells us what? In the beginning, God, oneness, wholeness, totality, the singular monotheistic being is what created the opposites, but it ultimately emerges into one. This is what the Trinity is all about. All those divisions, Father, Holy Ghost, and the, guess what? It all comes back to one. When you turn off the light, the light is gone, you experience darkness, but the dark, once again. Uh, another example is that cold is simply a lack of heat or the motion of atoms. I'm not going to get into that, but the cold you experience is a deprivation of heat since you cannot add cold except by removing heat. So once again, it recognizes that even the duality, right? Even that perceived duality, once again, we need the duality to understand the purpose here, to understand, you know, which way we're supposed to go. But ultimately, it comes from one. So Evil, what we claim is evil, is a deprivation of good in this sense. And they're spot on. And this is, once again, what Kabbalah teaches you. All right? So, in this sense, God did not create evil. No part of God is evil. God has allowed evil to exist by giving man the choice slash free will. Okay? And so what we're going to do is make a mathematical metaphor here. My coffee is splendid this morning. Good. My coffee was actually pretty good, too. Jenny B., thank you. Thank you for being here. I appreciate all of you. 13 questions. So. Okay. So, by giving man the choice, the free will, we have the ability to act, and we can act upon 
the nature of the good, always going towards the light, or we can go into what, what would be construed as, well, I'll show this, as evil and act upon that. Now, once again, God didn't make evil. He just created a place called Earth where beings that have the divine spark were sent down from the Empyrean, from the heavens, so that we would undergo this quest, so that we would understand our greater potential divinity. So we have God. Is So this is pi as a mathematical metaphor for creation and understanding good and evil. Well, then this is what mathematics ultimately is. They're teaching tools. Teaching tools to help you understand these basic concepts. Te the Mathematics is a teaching tool to help you understand what God just putting right in front of you. It's a teaching tool to help you understand that there's design and purpose of this in this world. And this is what all the great masters understood. Da Vinci, Durer, right? We just, if you looked at, if you watched the last live stream, we talked about there's, there's this great fountain in the middle of Nuremberg and it's got the 12 tribes of Israel and then it's got the four apostles and guess what's right below all of them? A bunch of mathematicians. Why? Because they understood that mathematics is a teaching tool. Mathematics is this language of God. Universal, ubiquitous, available to all people, put right in front of you. Pi is a mathematical metaphor for creation. So here we have God. And in the beginning, God, God created the heaven and the earth, the upstairs and the downstairs, the celestial and the terrestrial, the spirit and the matter, the, the incorruptible upstairs and the corruptible downstairs, right? God created everything, as we know. And he said everything was good. So when we look at God here and we look at, okay, boom, so we have this we have this pi, this geometry of pi. So we have the light and everything that comes from the light. Now, just as Godfrey Higgins says, when we talk about what's quote-unquote evil here, what quote-unquote evil here is not really evil. What it is is an absence of good. It's the furthest from God that you can be, okay? Now, when we, and but the whole thing is God. The whole thing is good, okay? So once again, what we say, quote-unquote, evil here, what I'm showing is, quote-unquote, evil is just an absence of good, the furthest from God that you can be. So you have that light, that source, and boom, right? Now, our entrance back into the immortality, well, we'll say eternal life, back in unity with God, once again, going through the pearly gates, you know, singing the songs of Moses and the songs of the Lamb, that sort of stuff, right? This is the way, the truth, and the life. This is going back into making the decisions on this earth to go back into that light, to go back into the source, to go, you know, to get back with God. And that's the way, which is the Tao, which is the... The, that's what the way has always been. It's the way, the truth, and the life. The Tao is the it's the core and essence of Taoism. Um, it can be described as the idea of the primordial natural law, and we'll talk about what the primordial natural law is for human beings, on which all of the universe has been given its shape and mechanics. Um, this law keeps ruling how all things of the world uh, behave. So the Tao is basically this it's you know this ever flowing laws within nature. Okay. So we talk about, hey, the way that ever, the law which God has put forward, the truth, which is basically, hey, I'm going to get rid of all the lies, all the half-truths, all the misinformation and disinfo and all the nonsense that I put in my head that I've allowed, you know, to be put in my head by a bunch of schemers and mashing, you know, people with machinations of, of wickedness and all that sort of stuff. Getting rid of all of that and finding the truth bar none, just 100% truth. And of course, so the way of the way, the Tao, the truth, and what? The life. And what is life? It's the eternal life. That's why Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
okay? So now human beings are put into this position where we can, we have the choice. We've been given the opportunity and the will, the will to say, hey, I'm going to go this way or I'm going to act on behalf of this way and go as far away and into the absence or the furthest from God I can possibly be. And I'm going to make the choice to act upon that. And this is where evil comes from. Okay, we talk about this this light, this source, right? When we talk about the divine spark that's within every human being, this is this is what John one is all about. In the beginning was the Word, in the beginning was the Word. God spoke light. That's what He said. And God said, "Let there be light." The light, the truth, the way, goodness of the of goodness, so much so that it becomes greatness in that sort of sense, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Every God was this Word. Everything that came out of that God speaking was God. This John 1.1. 1, 1. That's what he's saying. The word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light within you is the same source that comes from the beginning. Now we say this, is good and evil equal? Well, no, right? In this sense that um, is, the, is the furthest away from God, right? This absence of, of light or goodness, is that equal down here? Not necessarily, no. Because, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. So it's basically this understanding that, you know, once again, the, the darkness can't even comprehend the, the greatness of God in this sense. We see this duality, once again, this duality that comes from oneness, right? This, this you know, uh, this, once again, perceived duality that comes from oneness all over Genesis. Uh, God saw the light and it was good and God divided the light from the darkness. Light and darkness. And God called the day, uh, the light day, and the darkness he called night. Day and night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Evening, morning. And God saw the light in the firmament, in the midst of the waters. And he divided the waters. Waters above, waters below. Now, is this duality? No. Because what's the first line? What's the primer that we all know? Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God, singular, did all of this stuff. So any perceived duality we have, just like when you think about a man and woman, right? Well, you're gonna, you're not saying that there are, you know, there is a man and woman, and they're obviously different. They're obviously opposites, yes. And what needs to happen in order to create new life? They need to come together. God made the firmament, divide the waters which are under the firmament, and waters were above the firmament, under, above. Okay, and obviously, if we understand that the Bible is is ultimately a book of poetry it's really easy to see when we talk about good and evil that this is a recognition of god and the devil you get to choose do you want to go and work against the the principles of god you want to go into the darkness as much as you can or do you want to go towards the light it's your choice and that's the choice that we're given every single day here every single moment we get to make that choice so and this is where you get this notion that you know, um, once again, pi is a good metaphor for this, geometric metaphor. Darkness, light, good, evil. It's, you know, morning, evening, above, 
below. You know, that kind of thing. This is the Hunabku, which is a Mayan symbol, and the and um, the the yin yang symbol, of course. And there's lots of there's lots of things. Of course, symbols are polyvalent, which means that there's a bunch of different things you can extract from symbols. That usually a a, um, a really like a prominent symbol, that especially ones that's been around for a long time, usually has many meanings. Just like the cross has a lot of meanings, right? That we we've talked about that enough. But the the notion is is that in one sense is that down here. Those two things, good and evil, are swirled in with one another. They're just, they're, they're, we, once again, we always have the potentiality to go to good or evil, to make the choice. And so what has happened down here? Both of those opposites are swirled together. What do you think the Masonic checkerboard floor is? Most people will say that that's, uh, that means they believe in duality. No, not at all. It's understanding what your predicament is. What your what your you know what human beings are face down here, is that that the potentiality of going towards the good and potentiality of going towards the evil is intermixed, and you have to make the choice to do what, follow the Almighty God. All right, now just so you know, the Bible makes it very clear that with the personification of evil, which is what the devil is or what Satan is in this sense, the personification of evil has no inherent power. None. This comes right from the Bible, right? Satan is used of people who oppose others or wish evil on others. Satan is used of angels who oppose people for their good. The Satan of Job was under God's control and used God's power, right? Um, basically, once again, used, we could say use the will because we, we were given this will and it's like, once again, you can act upon that and say, I'm going to do evil shit. The Satan of Job was involved in the circumstances that tested, it, you know, what is the what is what is the the devil in this sense, right? It's a tempter, testing, always testing people, offering contracts, offering offering you the you know um, ways away from the light, right? Um, there is no Satan that has the power to rival that of the Lord God. Okay, so just a few things within the Bible there. Now, of course, we know the devil from. Um, following the government evil, yes. So, um, all right. What is that? Okay, oh, sorry. So now, um, of course, we hear about Jesus was even tempted, right? He's a tempter. He's a, he's trying to dissuade you. This is what the the devil ultimately is, and this is what the story is of Jesus being tempted three times, okay? Um, of course, there's a bunch of illustrations here, and, and the devil is more often than not given uh, the characteristics of a, a serpent, a serpent or a goat. Pretty common. I don't think, it, you know, that's, uh, I think, pr pr you know, people pretty much understand that, and, you know, you actually see this as a pretty consistent theme around the world, and I'll show you a few examples of this. Um so here, Jesus was taken up to a high place, and the devil was tempting him. He's like, oh, you get a, you get the choice. You could follow me if you want, bro. And I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. And Jesus is like, ah, you know, I'm not going to do that. That's, I'm, I'm cool. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for the offer, but uh, go after yourself. It, it doesn't say that exactly in the Bible, but it's something like that. So Jesus um, was tempted in the wilderness, right? And then Jesus was led up of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Fasted for 40 days and the tempter came to him. And the, de and the devil 
taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple. And he's like, hey, if you just can't, if you just worship me and cast thyself down, you, you know, you'll have all this stuff, right? That, you know, all this, you, you guys know the story, right? Um, and he's like, you're not going to tempt me. What is the devil? Is tempting you away from the light. That's, that's what he does. That's it. Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. The devil is taking him up to the high place and he's like, look at all of this. It's a glorious world. Why? Well, we, well, we know God created it and must be good. People, the Christians talk about the earth being a fallen place. The earth isn't a fallen place. Human beings, when we talk about the fall or a fallen world, that's specifically referencing the fact that Adam and Eve, in this sense, souls have fallen down into this world from a high place in order to climb the rungs of the ladder to get back up. It doesn't say anything in the Bible, correct me if I'm wrong, specifically that the world, the earth itself, and materiality is fallen. In fact, it says the exact opposite. In Genesis, God created everything and it was good. So, the modern understanding of when you find in Christianity that the world is a fallen place, it's nonsense. No, human beings have fallen. Just like if you fell from a tree and hit the ground. Oh, I hit the ground. The ground must be cursed and evil and stuff like that. No, you just fell. That's it. You know? So this is why when, uh, you know, I've, I've made this very clear that when you, when uh, the, you know, Gnosticism, a lot of people, and I've, you know, fully dis, you know, dismissed this, and I don't practice this, we don't teach this, I don't talk about the demiurge. When you hear of, there's Gnostic, you know, sex or whatever that in the past have thought, well, matters evil, or, you know, that sort of thing, or that there's a demiurge that created this. We, I denounce that entirely. Christ is the eternal presence He's always with us. Well, if Christ was always with us, then how could this place be evil? It's not. It's not. Evil is just allowed to exist so that we will understand our greater greater potential and greater divinity. And we talk about the wilderness. So where does this serpentine, why is the devil recognized? We'll talk about why he's recognized as the goat often. Um, in fact, um, the Baphomet was what I was going to talk about today. But like I said, there's too much to cover. Um, but why is, um, you know, why is, uh, the devil often given the distinction of a serpent or a, a snake? Well, first and foremost, when he talks about that Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, what is the wilderness? It's a place uninhabited, literally by definition, it's a place uninhabited by human beings. Well, what's that place? Look up. The place in the heavens where, according to the Bible, no no a man in the flesh has gone. And hence one of the reasons that NASA is trying to convince you, NASA and Jackson and ESA and all those other what, jackasses, all those absolutely satanic organizations are trying to convince you, oh yeah, man, we totally went to the moon and drove rovers around on Mars because it's materiality up there. No, it's not. It's spirituality up there. It's the metaphysical. It's beyond the physical. Literally, that's what it is. So when Jesus was taken up to a high place to see all the kingdoms of the world, he was tempted in the wilderness. What is the wilderness? Look up. And who's up in the very top of that wilderness, as you guys know? Draco, a big damn serpent in the sky, revolving around the pole star. So Draco, the devil, that old serpent, the devil, took Jesus up to the top, tippy top of the dome of the firmament and said, look, 
if you just t make the choice, use your own will, Jesus, and make the choice and follow me. That's what he did. He tempted him. So why is the serpent known as, um, or why is the devil, Satan, known as um, a serpent? Well, because Draco, constantly revolving around the pole star. And of course, there's, you know, there's Draco. We've talked about this quite a bit. It's a scripture in the stars. It's right upstairs. It's right upstairs. <clears throat> so, and this is why you see dragons across the world. What was there, you know, once again, where does this come from? You see it, Nagas and Seraphims and Serpents. You go to China, you go to, Hindu, to Egypt, you go to the Hindu Indian stuff. You know, you go to the Indi the Indians with the dots and then the Indians with the feathers. And what are they? You, you'll find dragons. Why? Well, because they looked up. And this is also where you get the dragon slayer motif. This is where this comes from, right? So, um... You know the dragon. The dragon slayer is a is a common theme found around the world. You find it in you know. You know, I mean, you guys, I don't I don't need to go into this too much, but the Egypt and Saint George and Saint Michael and stuff like that, right? Dragon slayers everywhere. Excuse me, and all sorts of different myths. Of course, you have the uh, princess and the dragon motif. Of course, that's Andromeda, the the literally a damsel in distress. It's literally what she's referred to. And there's a dragon that's keeping her, and she's tied, and you got to go release her. Of course, there's Hercules. Hercules, who's you know struggled with the serpents, was always you know wrangling with the serpents. Of course, we talked about Saint George and Saint Michael slaying the dragon, right? This is all the pictures that we found when we were in uh, Germany and Europe and all that sort of stuff. Where it's like the theme was everywhere. In fact, in the one uh, Weltenberg, which was the brewery, they had this. Oldest Covenant Brewery, Convent Brewery in the world. Oh, the dogs are going crazy. Dogs, we're trying. Hey, hey, this is a church service, Willie. Um, went to this church, and the the main theme, like when you, you know, like where the preacher, pastor, you know, whatever, would be giving his sermon, right behind him was a big thing of St. Michael. <laughs> dogs are insane. So, um... So there's, you know, where does this come from? Well, just look up. There it is on the left there. That's that's the metalwork and that was in that, that cathedral. And it's it's St. Michael slaying a dragon with the sword of the spirit, flaming sword, just crushing it, right? There's, expl there's reasonable explanations for this stuff. And it's unfortunate that more Christians don't want to, you know, even look into it. You know, it's just easy to be like, oh, that guy is a Gnostic. <laughs> now, where are you? You're in a place of death. You are dead. That's where we are in this sense. You're dead, right? Because what's the opposite of death? Well, eternal life. So actual, true life, actual life is eternal life. It's back one, it's, it's eternal, like you, you don't die, there's no death. You return to God, you're, you're unifying with God. The zoo is going crazy this morning. You return to God and you're, you have eternal life. That's what the whole thing is about, salvation, all of that sort of thing. 
So, and God even command, even says this, right? When you read Genesis, oh, guess what? Adam and Eve, you listen to that damn serpent and what'd you do? You ate the tree from the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, look, man, if you do that, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shall not eat that. You're not supposed to eat that. For in that day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Right, Wills? Speaking of will, like, oh, I would I would totally follow God, but I can't see shit. <laughs> so, uh, so God's saying, if you eat this, you're going to die. And then what happened? They fell to earth. Heaven is eternal life. It's actually life. Then, these beings, once again, from the Empyrean, from the heavens, from the eternal, you know, from this God, God has cast them out, fallen into death, into the place where evil is allowed, the potentiality of evil is allowed to exist. The potentiality of man going away from God, going as far away from God and choosing that exists. So when God said, oh, if you eat that, you will surely die. And the serpent said, you're not going to die. So when they fell into life, when Adam and Eve fell into life here, what were they? They fell into death. In this, in this sense, we are dead here, right? Well, of course, what's the op- what are we seeking? Eternal life. Now, this is exactly, once again, this is the Tibetan Book of the Dead, and this is page one, I think, right? This is the opening, the message of this book. And it says this, and this, the Tibetan Book of the Dead is the great liberation, which is what we're trying to do, liberate ourselves from the fleshly vehicle, from the fleshly, you know, from the materiality to seek unity with God. Through hearing the word, the great liberation, through hearing, hearing, listening to the word of God in the bardo. There seems to be, this is what it says, listen to this. There seems to be a fundamental problem when we refer to the subject of the Tibetan Book of the Dead. The approach of comparing it with the Egyptian Book of the Dead in terms of mythology and lore of the dead person seems to miss the point, which is the fundamental principle of birth and death recurring constantly in this life. One could refer to this book as the Tibetan Book of Birth. The book is not based on death as such, but a completely different concept of death. Understand? So in other words, what's happening? Just as God said, oh, you eat that, you're going to die. You're going to fall to earth and be in the material realm so that you can ultimately make your way back to paradise, make your way back to eternal life. That's exactly what God said is going to happen. And this is exactly what the Tibetan Book of the Dead is talking about. And this is the fall. So once again, we say, oh, oh, ah, earth is a fallen place. No, it's not. It's not a fallen world. No, God created everything and he said it was good. And he mentioned it a bunch of different times. He's like, it was good, it was good. And then he rested and was like, all that was good. The fall, the fallen world as it's understood in Christianity. Now you actually, you don't, as far as I know, once again, correct me if I'm wrong, there's no specific verses in the entirety of the Bible that specifically say the earth has fallen. You say Israel has fallen, Satan has fallen, Adam and Eve have fallen, but nothing about the material plane that we are that we're on is specifically fallen. The fall is the way we usually refer to the sin of our first parents. 
Adam and Eve and all its disastrous effects. The first sin was not the only sin. It was the beginning of a pattern of rebellion against God that has run through history and continues today. In other words, fell from the, you fell from the great height because you did not listen to God. And now what do we have? People continually not listening to God. People continuing to break the law. People continuing to be narcissistic or, you know, uh, me, 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 or, you know, basically just going, you know, and we'll get into exactly what evil, you know, is in, in this. We'll get into that in just a second. But once again, rebellion against God, not going towards the light, making the choice to go the other way as far as, you know, as far as you can. And of course, we have a gradation of that. Okay. This is the expulsion from paradise, of course. Once again, Albrecht Durer, Durer. So Adam and Eve, what, what ultimately, what happened? What was the reason that God cast them out? Because they chose, they made a choice. Now, by the way, God knew this was going to happen. God created the whole thing and set the whole thing up, knowing that Adam and Eve were going to fall because God has a purpose for this place. God has a purpose up for your life. God has a purpose for the whole thing. He's like, hey, I commanded you not to eat. And what did you do? You didn't listen to me. You listened to the serpent that said, ah, oh, you're not going to die. Ah, eh, you're not going to die. You're going to be fine. You just eat this shit. It's going to be great. They made a choice. And then when they made the choice, they passed the buck. They passed the blame. Like, no, I didn't. It was, the devil made me do it. No, he didn't. You had a choice. Just like you have a choice right now. The serpent beguiled me, tricked me, tempted me, and I did eat. And of course, they ate from the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So in other words, you will know now. Now you know what's good and what's evil. And now you get the choice. And how do we know what's good? How do you, you know, the epistle is written in your heart. And we'll get into how we know where, where evil comes from and uh, where good comes from and what the, what the law is what the law is, what the singular law is, according to not only traditions across the world, but the Holy Bible itself. And that's the golden rule. Now, the golden rule is something, it's generally understood as do unto others as you'd have done to you. Now, this is ultimately, you know, that's just one way of saying it. As you can see, I'm not going to read all these, but, and excuse the freaking ball in the center there. I know, it's not, that's, our, our earth is actually, it's a, it's a sphere and it's tilted like this and it's sandwiched at the top and then it's like, it's like a pizza and the, that's what it's really like according to um, evil pieces of shit like Neil deGrasse Tyson, God bless his soul, because um, <laughs> he's going to need it. Um, the golden rule is expressed everywhere. Sikhism, Taoism, Confucianism, Buddhism, Hinduism, Baha'i faith, Islam, Judaism. And we'll talk about that. We'll talk about how um, their understanding of the golden rule and getting into sacred and profane. Um, Jainism, Zoroastrianism, native spiritualities, a bunch, Christianity, of course. All over, you'll find the golden rule expressed. Now, the golden rule is basically saying you would not exert your will against somebody else because you would not want that person to exert their will against you. That's essentially what it is. You're not going to go and subvert somebody's, their right to life, their right to their body, their right to their spiritual, uh, physical, you know, philosophical autonomy. You wouldn't do that because you wouldn't want it done against you, right? Now this, you know, this is the basic and this is the law. This is the law. Okay, now, not according to Marty Leeds or according to all of those 
you know, uh, religions and stuff. It's literally in the Bible. Matthew 7, 1, judge not that ye be not judged. And there's a, they express the, they express the golden rule in a bunch of different ways here, all in this, all in this one chapter. And there's, it's in other places as well, but judge not that ye be not judged. Uh, Chad Kilgore, thank you so much for the 10. I appreciate that. God bless. Thank you so much. Right? Gotta run out to the forest. Work to be done. Run, my friend. Run. Um, what about Freemasonry Golden Rule? Yes. The, the, the Golden Rule is expressed all over. Yes. The, by the way, the Freemasons read the, you know, the, the three great lights in Masonry are the compasses, the square, and the holy Bible. So it's like, it's hilarious. Anyway, judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. These are all different ways of expressing the Golden Rule. And why beholdest thou mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? It's literally, they're literally just going golden rule, golden rule, golden rule. Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote of thine eye, and behold, the beam is in, his, in thine own eye. Of course, this is a poetic expressions of the golden rule. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote of thy brother's eye. Right? With what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. Here's one. Here's one. Matthew, I think, seven twelve. Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would do that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Notice what it's saying here. Let's read this again. Do unto others as ye have done to you. This is just a different poetic expression. Die, fly. This is just a different poetic expression of the golden rule. Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law. The law. Colon. For this is the law and the prophets. They're ex expressing to you, this is the law that you were to follow. Enter, and then it goes enter into the straight straight as gate and there's a way that sort of thing right and then it goes and it goes here but beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly they are ravening wolves so right after that so what happened during the um the covidians of the 19s what happened on mass and this is actually one of the things that actually kept my job when i work when i was living in hawaii and i was working at the vet and I wasn't wearing the, the mask and I wasn't following any of the, the mandates by the government and things like that. You know, my boss brought me in and he's like, hey man, you know, what's, what's going on? Why are you not doing this? And I told him, I was like, because forcing a mask on somebody when they don't want is against somebody's will, which is the breaking of the golden rule. And as soon as I said that, he's like, I've always, you know, he's like, okay, I understand. I've always been for the golden rule. He was a Christian. He's like, that was the thing that I always followed. And the, the case that you made is very clear. No, I, I don't want a Petri dish on my face. I don't want this. I don't want the breath of life being covered up. That's against my will. And I wouldn't ask that of you. As soon as I said that, that's what, that's what kept my job. So what happened on mass? Well, all these people that had contracts with with their with their business or with their you know their employer and stuff like that said, I'm gonna come to work and I'm agreeing and you're agreeing. This is we're you know this is simpatico here. I'm gonna do what you ask me to do, 
right? Or I'm gonna I'm gonna do these things that I'm hired to do, and then you're gonna pay me this much, and I'm gonna get this many benefits, and blah 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 blah. And we're in agreement. And then the employers came along and said, well, no, now you got to do this other thing. Well, I don't want to do that. That's against my will. That is going directly against my you know uh, you know my my desires, my 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 will. You have to do these things against your will, in other words. And if not, you're going to lose everything that we agreed upon. Well, that was the breaking of the golden rule. Every time that somebody asks you to say, you have to put a mask on, I'm not asking you to do anything against your will. Why are you demanding that you that I do something against mine? What about the, what about the jibbity jabbies? What about those? What happened? Same thing. Oh, you got to put, you got to taint the blood of Christ. You got to taint the blood that God has given you that flows through your veins. You have to taint that now. Well, I, I wouldn't ask to shove anything into your veins. Well, you got to do this. That is the breaking of the golden rule. And it happened on mass. What is evil in this sense? Once again, it's a choice. It's a will. And this is a good, I mean, this is a sort of a good, um, definition of it, right? Evil is the destruction of freedom. Who gives you your freedom? God. Who gave you your body? God. Who put the breath in your lungs? God. Who allowed you to walk around this earth? God. Who put the earth below your feet? God. God has given everything and he's given you those rights. And what do governments do? What do evil people do? Just as we see with the jibbity jabbies and the covidians of the one nines. It was the destruction of freedom. And this is what we're all facing right now, en masse. What do you think communism is? What do you think these despots are doing? They're trying to destroy your freedom, which is what? A breaking of, it's against your will. Who gave you the will? Who gave you that? God. Evil is the destruction of freedom. It cannot be stated more simply. Everywhere you look, you will find the obfuscation of evil. There are countless ideas which are taught about the nature of evil. Every false idea is caused by evil to hide truth from you. Evil is not darkness, as we just said. Absence, right? The furthest absence of good, the furthest away you can get from God, right? It's not evil in this sense, right? It's just making the choice to go against God's will. Um, evil is not darkness. It is not a frightening unknown. Evil is not some mystical psychology of man, nor is it inherent in our natures. It is not supernatural, and is most de- and it most definitely exists. As with all principles, the principle of evil is simple. Evil is the destruction of freedom. It's, it's literally going against the golden rule. When, you, when, you, when free, you can build glory, peace, prosperity, and joy into the world. Around you, you will find all these things. Men and women like you built these things. Evil enslaves. Evil is found in words such as force, compulsion, tax, violence, theft, censure and politics <laughs> there's no political solution there's no political solution there is no political solution why none have any value to humanity so now let's watch we're going to watch a few clips from a, a a channel called the crucible the crucible is a debate show and it's basically a big ortho brothers hangout it's basically where a bunch of people that love jay dyer and and uh, all these all these sort of characters that they go and they congregate and they talk about how their understanding of Christianity is so much better and that they're the right, they've got the right and one true way and all this other stuff. And what they're going to do is what you're going to see is that none of these people, Jay Dyer, Jim Bob, 
um, you know, uh, Kotel, which is this guy here. What is Harry David something? David, I don't know what his name is. David Patrick Harris, something like that. He runs the, the Church of the Eternal Logos. None of these people, not one of them understand the golden rule. Not one of them. Mind you, it's in Matthew. It's repeated in Matthew. And all the law and the prophets, the law, and they don't understand the golden rule. What you're going to see here is two atheists named Ryan Dawson and Adam Green. They're atheists, but they still have more morality and ethics than the entirety of the Orthodox community, as far as I can tell. So they don't even believe in God. They think, as far as I can tell, they're, they're so ridiculous and lost that they think we came from monkeys, but they still have more love and more care and more compassion and more ethics and more morality in their heart than the entirety of orthodoxy, at least the orthodoxy online. So here's Jay Dyer talking about slavery. Here's Ryan Dawson and Jay Dyer discussing slavery. Now, what is slavery? Slavery, before we get into this, slavery by definition is going against somebody's will. You can't choose to be a slave. It's literally the exact opposite definition. If somebody is enslaved, that is taking the rights, the will, their freedoms directly from them and saying, you don't have those anymore. You know all those things that God gave you? We're going to take those away and we own you now. So no one can choose to be a slave. If somebody wants to be bound up and tied up and, you know, in some, you know, this is one of the examples that they gave in some sexual way, like, oh, I like to be tied to a bed and, you know, with handcuffs and whipped by a wet noodle. And that's, oh, they like enslavement. That's not enslavement. That's willful bondage. That's saying, I want to be in, in, bond, in bonds. Now, as soon as that person that's in bonds says, oh, I don't want to do this anymore, and the person doesn't let him go, guess what happens? The golden rule is broken. Your will is subverted. None of these people understood this. None of them. As far as I could tell, I watched both of these and both the, the debates in their entirety. I read a boatload of the comments there, and they were, as far as they could tell, I would, they were, I don't want to say this, you know, directly, but as far as I could tell, they were arguing for slavery. These are supposed to be Christians. It's disgusting. And so we're going to watch this. We're going to watch, you know, what happens when you uh, follow the vain traditions of men and don't understand what the Bible really is. They're meant to be literal, literal. So you believe in monarchy? And what? Divine rule and monarchy rather than republics and democracy. We should have a king and a queen. I do. You, you do believe in monarchy, okay? Yeah. Slavery? No, I don't believe in slavery, no. Well, they practice it for over a thousand years. Right, but... The fact that something's practiced doesn't mean that it was intended to always be practiced. Well, we're taking it literally. I mean, right after the ten. Because it was practiced doesn't mean it was always meant to be practiced. That's what Jay Dyer said. Amen. So you got Exodus twenty-one twenty, giving out the rules of how you can beat but, slaves and punish them and own them as property. I mean, like, that's definitely what they are, meant. Right, but you just said ethics are the sets of ethics that we choose are relative. So I'm not. I'm not clear why you think those are wrong. Once again, I'm not arguing for Ryan Dawson's position. Both of these guys are full of shit. Well, I'm asking you, are you okay with slavery? It's in the books. Yeah, but the religion as a whole gives a context as to when these things are to be done away with and fulfilled. So the, so the religion of the whole, Jay Dyer's arguing for a literalist position of the Bible. And he's saying the religion as a whole says, oh, slavery was okay during this time. And then it's not okay. No, slavery's never been okay because it goes against the golden rule. It's never been okay. Now, Ryan Dawson, who is great with Zionist stuff and all that sort of thing, God bless him for all of that, he understands this, and apparently Jay Dyer doesn't. 
loss yeah. of the Israelites. So it, was, it was okay, and now it's not. Uh-huh. So, no, there's a change in certain laws, which is part of the religion itself. The point that I was getting at is that some things are in the law for a time period. And you laughed at that, but I'm, I'm not sure why. You- Listen, some things are in the law for a time period, and then God changes that. So in other words, just as they're arguing here, God made slavery, was totally fine with slavery and for a while, and then, no, it changed. Okay? Listen to that. Why that would be absurd or why that would be Why is that absurd? Why was slavery okay for so long? Well, Israelite slavery uh, introduced certain uh, stipulations where you couldn't abuse people. So it was actually uh, novel in the ancient world. Um, they had indentured servants and slaves. Correct. <clears throat> right. In, indentured, servanthood, indentured servanthood is something revolutionary in the ancient world. Are you okay with indentured servitude? I'm just saying that God spoke to that time to that people, and he introduced laws, for example, that you can't abuse them and mistreat them. But if you conquered a people group and you had their wives and their and their kids, then those laws are about how to take care of those people. So if you conquered a group of people, then God said, oh, this is how you take care of these group of people. Wait a second. When you conquer a group of people, what are you doing? You're going against the golden rule. You're subverting all of their wills, which were given by God Almighty. When you conquer a people, now there's a difference between if, you know, if you're being conquered, you have every right to defend yourself. Because what are the conquerors trying to do? They're trying to take your free will that God has given you. They're trying to take your um, sovereignty. Of course, your sovereignty is only under the jurisdiction of God. But they're trying to take your free will. So, oh, the people conquered people. Well, why were they conquering people? This is what happens when you have no idea what the Bible was actually about. That's revolutionary in the ancient world. It's revolutionary. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's ahead of its time for the time period, but God should be outside of culture and time, get the correct answer right away. Well, that's according to you, but why can't God wait? In, because in he's supposed to be this all-knowing thing. Right, but that's assuming that you know his designs and why can't he introduce certain things pedagogically over time? So listen what Jay's, the argument that Jay's making. Why can't God, so Ryan Dawson's there is like, God is almighty and it's like all-knowing and everything like that. And, and, and Jay's argument is like, well, God pedagogically can, can introduce things like slavery over time and then get rid of it when, whenever he pleases, right? And, Okay, so that's what—that's the argument that he made. In other words, God can change. God will say, that ah, slavery's cool for a while here. Indentured servitude is a, cool for a while. And then gets rid of it. Okay? He can do whatever he wants, but I think slavery's a moral evil and was never okay and still isn't. Because Ryan Dawson is 100% correct there. Slavery's never been okay. It's not okay. It's never going to be okay. It's immoral. Because you're subverting a child of God. You're taking their their life from them. Well, uh, well I would uh, like to know why you think it's immoral. Why is it immoral? Why do you think it's immoral? Because it's not okay to own another person. Not that difficult. Because once again, the law, the law, according to the New Testament, says what? The law says the golden rule. These people 
don't even know the golden rule. Now, Jay just said that, and this is how Jay started the, la the, 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 the debate. Because of attributes like divine providence, we have a basis for belief in the regularity of nature, uh, in uh, the notion which underlies basically the possibility of induction and in science itself. Could it have science without some principle of, uh, of induction and regularity? And Andrew down there, the moderator's like, yep, see, this guy's right here. Um, divine providence makes sure that the future uh, is like the past. And so we divine providence makes sure that the future is like the past. Have a solution to like David Hume's dilemmas of how do we know the future will be like the past? These kinds of skeptical, radical, skeptical questions. Um, we have a basis for metaphysical principles in the distinction between the creator and the creature. Um, that that principles retain and stay the way that they are. Principles retain and stay the way that they are. Like morality, like not owning people. Uh, that, that being retains its status, the good is the good and will always be the good. Being retains its status, the good is good, and evil is always the negation of good, as he'll go on to say. Let's listen to this again status the good is the good and will always be the good evil is always negation of the good all of those things maintain those identities and those those definitions because of the structure that we have in christian metaphysics and lap good is good evil will always be evil it maintains that the past is like the future and then not a half hour later into that argument he says well god said slavery was cool for a while no, God, according to people of the Old Testament, which we'll get into in just a second, thought slavery was good for a while. Now let's listen to David Patrick Harris and Adam Green, um, and they'll talk, and he's going to talk about slavery as well. God, to you why slavery is bad. I can, I can figure yes, out. Yes, explain is to bad. me why slavery is bad, dude. I'm doing it. Slavery is bad because I wouldn't want to be a slave to somebody else. I would Boom! Adam Green, who is an atheist, who's arguing against, he's supposed to be on this show talking about what the what's actually in the Bible, right? That's what they were supposed to. But of course, they presuppositioned this whole thing into retardation. And Adam Green's like, why is it? He's like, explain to me why slavery's bad. As if you need a book to actually know that. No, you're subverting somebody else's will. You're imprisoning a person. You're taking away their ability to have freedom. And this guy's saying, explain to me why slavery's bad. Adam Green, who is an atheist, who does a lot of good, good stuff with the, with the ruffians, exposing that, he understands this more than the supposed man of God. Let's listen to this again. Explain to you why slavery is bad. I can, I can figure yes, out why slavery is bad. explain to me why slavery is bad, dude. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Slavery is bad because I wouldn't want to be a slave to somebody else. I wouldn't want to be owned okay, by somebody else. Okay, so it's your else. personal subjective opinion. Everybody. Per. Well, sorry. Nobody wants. Let's bad go. Because I wouldn't want to be a slave to somebody else. I wouldn't want to be owned okay, by somebody else. Okay, so it's else. your personal subjective opinion. Everybody. Nobody wants to be a slave to somebody else. It it's everybody's we're opinion. Nobody would want. It's your personal subjective opinion. No, slavery by definition is not a choice. That's not your personal, I, and once again, if you say, well, I want to be enslaved. No, that's not slavery then. That's willful bondage. And then and that's pretty crazy. But there are people that like, like I said, that do crazy sexual perverted stuff, right? And they have quote unquote safe words. I don't really know because I don't get into that sort of stuff. But as far as I heard on the interwebs, 
that there are people that are into that stuff, whipping and all that sort of stuff and being chained up. Okay, well, if you want to do that, that's your will. No one's subverting your will. You're saying, I want to do that. When slavery, when you were enslaved, that's going against somebody's will. Kotel doesn't understand this. The entirety of orthodoxy doesn't understand this. Jay Dyer doesn't understand this. This is where orthodoxy will lead you. Mo the mod I'll say this. The modern day, terrible understanding of what orthodoxy is really all about will lead you to philosophize all day long for several hours about why, why, slavery, why is slavery bad? Why is slavery immoral? Wow. Talk about some kindergarten stuff. These guys are supposed to be men of Christ. They're the furthest from it. Jay Dyer, by the way, works for, and I want to get on some rant here, but Jay Dyer, by the way, works for Alex Jones. Do you know that? If you, uh, you can get the, the promo code Dyer666 and you can get boner pills for half off. Alex Jones works for Ted Turner. Anywho. Justification for beliefs, dude. You just dude, made a subjective God's claim. God's not moral, dude. He you creates, just made a subjective he creates claim. the world and messes up and has to kill everybody in a flood. You sure. just made a subjective claim. Yeah. <laughs> That's where Adam doesn't understand uh, a lot there as far as uh, what, what Earth is all about and why there's cycles and resets and things like that. But So then this is uh, Jim Bob. Once again, a guy that's promoting orthodoxy. Why is slavery immoral? And I said, because it is against the golden rule, Bobby. Not, period, that, period, difficult, period. And you know what happened in that, in that, in that comment section? A bunch of his followers were like, oh, does the, does the golden rule come from the golden God? Where did they, you know, they were literally a bunch of children. Well, actually, if you want to know one of the places that you find it, not that it originates from the Bible, as you can see, the golden rule is expressed all over the world, as we, as we showed here. The golden rule is expressed all over the world. But do you know where you do find the golden rule? The Bible. So these people are supposed to be followers of the Bible, and it's the law, and none of them understand it. They're literally saying, why is slavery immoral? And I said, it goes against the golden rule. You're subverting somebody else's will. Why is violating the golden rule immoral? Made by Jim Bob asks, when you follow two-bit artists and their understanding of theology, you're going to get a two-bit artist understanding of theology. That's what you're going to get. Now, when we talk about, wait, well, there was slavery in the Old Testament. Well, this is, well, guess what the Old Testament was for, right? And this is what we talk about. We're followers of the New Testament, just like the Bible says, just like the New Testament says. We have a new covenant. We have a new testament to follow. That's some old shit. And guess who the old shit was written for? The chosen people. Now, before we even get into that, guess what Moses did? This is why I brought this up. Moses was pissed off at the Israelites because they were not following the law. So Moses received this revelation from on high. Of course, where was he? He was upstairs in the stars, right? In this sense. He received the, this message on tablets right from God. Right from God. He writes it all down. And then the Israelites were not following any of them. And so what did he do? He smashed the tablets. Now, Jew, Jews, the ruffians, followers of Judaism, they... um. They actually believe in the golden rule. But the difference is, is they don't see you as equal. They're this special kind of people over here. And so it's totally okay for them to quote unquote break the golden rule because you 
according to their perversion, are not equal. So if they, as a ruffian, as a follower of Judaism, hurt or subvert the will of another follower of Judaism, then they break the golden rule. But if they screw you over and manipulate you and lie to you and and suck out all your money and constantly try to get you and subvert you, it doesn't matter. You're not you're not a chosen person. Now, of course, this is the notion of the sacred and profane. Now, it's not just a it's not just part of the Judaic thing. You know, there's lots of there's lots of people in the world that see us as plebes. They're just like, oh, they're just whatever. They're not they're not of the special bloodline. They're not of the special family. You know, the, the social Darwinian kind of thing too. Oh, well, God made, God is rewarding me. That's why I have all this money and the, you know, this sort of thing. And so obviously these people, like those stupid Irishmen in their stupid hat, they're not part of the chosen kind. So there's, there, you know, this sacred and profane ideology is something that's expressed not just in, once again, Judaism. And this is why there's a difference between an Old Testament and a New Testament. The Jewish people as, as, um, as expressed in the idea that they have been chosen by God at his special people and you're not. So they can break the quote-unquote golden rule against you all day long. Who cares? You're not actually equal. In the sense, you're not a, you know, I don't, I don't want to say this exactly, but you're not a human being like them. The term implies that the Jewish people have been chosen by God to worship only him and to fulfill the mission of proclaiming his truth among all the nations of the world. And hence, one of the reasons that you know, you'll find the, the approval of slavery in the Old Testament because guess what? No, they're not they're not like us. And it's like the, this is a good analogy. It's like the cat, you know, don't take this too seriously, okay? But you know, the cat that messes with the mouse. The cat doesn't give a shit about that mouse. The cat that cat will like torture it and bang it around, which as far as I know, they're actually just trying to make sure it's dead. It's not like they're actually evil in this sense as far as I know. Though let's just admit it, cats are evil. No, I'm kidding. Um, the cat doesn't care to bat that thing around all day long. Well, it's, you're not, you're not one, you're not, you're not part of the chosen cats. You're just a mouse. You can do whatever I want to you. Now Christ came along and said, nope, sorry. Nope, that's not how it is. Christ is all and in all. The hope of glory is Christ in you. That every single person that has every single person has that divine spark and that all comes from God and it is the light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world, right? And so this was, this was the message of John. This is the message of Paul. This is the message of Christ. It's basically taking, Christ comes along and we'll discuss this when we go into the Matthew and do that. Christ comes along and says, look, that's what they're, what they're doing. And of course, we just, we just went over the entire book of, of, Luke, of, of Mark, excuse me, Mark. And you know how many times he's calling these people out? Why? Because they're following the vain, just like the orthodoxy. They're, volu- they're following the vain traditions of men, making themselves chosen and special boys and subverting God's basic commandment. How does evil work when people actually decide to say, hey, I'm going to do evil in this world. I'm going to make that choice. And because I'm I'm part of a sacred and profane theology, right? I, we're the special people. You're not. So who cares about you? Stupid little mouse. Bat you around, torture you, kick you around. How does this evil actually work when these people decide 
that, you know, once again, if you have a sacred and profane mindset, you're already the entirety of your being, the entirety of your life. Everything you do from when you wake up in the middle, you know, in the morning and go to bed at night is breaking the golden rule. This is what the followers of Judaism do because they do not see you as equal. So when they act upon their, when they act upon this, what are they doing? Um, how do they operate? It's more subtle than any... Now, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. Subtleties. Now, there's this is... The amount of stuff that is happening in these verses is, is incredible. Number one, we just talked about how Draco is the constellation that they're referencing when we talk about... Um, and once again, we'll go, we'll go over this when we do, when we do uh, Genesis as well. It's more subtle than any beast in the field of stars. Draco is a subtle constellation. You have to, and uh, you can see it right here. Like, in, I can go out every night and pretty much see Draco, but you really have to look for it, right? And we don't even have that much light pollution out here. It's a very subtle constellation. Not very bright stars, especially compared to the, you know, Ursa Major, the Big Dipper, and Cassiopeia, um, yeah, Cassiopeia, which is the M. You can see those pretty, pretty bright. And right there is Draco, and it's hard to see. Okay, so it's it's more subtle than any beast of the field in which the Lord God had made. Who made the stars in the canopy? Well, we just went through that. So, God made everything. So, but also, how does evil work? Subtlety. Subtlety. Evil works by convincing man that it doesn't exist. And how, and, and we've all experienced this now. How do we... How did uh, how did they get by with um, this whole Covidians of the 19s and all that other stuff? Think about 9/11. I remember I remember discussing 9/11 with people at the time when I first came onto that revelation. It was like, whoa, whoa, we're being lied about that. That's not what happened. There wasn't 19 dudes and a hijack, 19 hijackers and a dude in a cave, and that had a really great cell service and was like, hey, attack America. Obviously, it was a quote unquote inside job, right? When I talk to people about this, normies. Do you know what they said? Well, the, the, you know, the government wouldn't do that. Oh, they wouldn't do something like that. I mean, that's, you know, they literally cannot even fathom that such evil exists. So evil is working constantly in the world. People that, it, you know, that follow the, you know, essentially go against God, right? As we, as we say, and operate like that every single day of their lives. They work in subtleties. They work by convincing that man convincing people that it doesn't exist and guess what as i found most of the people that i like i said that i know that took the gibbity jab they took it and they were they didn't believe in god or if they did believe in god it was just a you know sort of a side note like yeah i believe in god and then they don't think about it they don't study you know religion they don't try to figure out their latin life they don't everything right Mo almost and exclusively like, I will say this almost exclusively. All of my old friends that I know that took the gibbity jab, they're all atheists. Every single freaking one of them. I could give you a list of names. I'm obviously not going to do that. So, why? Well, they don't understand God. So, they don't understand the properties of good and evil. So, they don't even think evil exists. It's like, well, no. I mean, the, the, obviously, the pharmaceutical companies are working for us and trying to help us with the bugs. Another way that um, evil works is, is keeping you away 
wrapping it, evil wraps itself up in um, truth, occult symbology, right? Things like that. So that when you see evil and you see it wrapped up in occult symbology and stuff like that, all seeing eye of God, I'll give you a few examples. People will see that and be like, oh, that must all be associated with the devil. I got to stay far away from that. And my Lord, this works like gangbusters. And this is what I've been trying to do for people for a long time is to get you away from that. No, you're not supposed to run, run away from the devil. You're supposed to face him and be like, I got you, bitch. The devil's going to bring you up to the high place and tempt you with all this stuff. You're going to have everything. Be like, nah, I'm good. I got that bread of life thing. Satan wraps himself up in occult symbology. Why? To frighten and scare people away from the path to God. And this is why I say this, this phrase, Satan bathes the light in darkness. Let me give you a few examples. Oh, the pentagram. That's a symbol of the devil and evil. Do you know how many people I've heard over the years... Even when I first started, this guy is he's using the pentagram. The pentagram gives you the proportionality of phi, which is what your entire body is made from. There's an expression of it. We're made in the image of God. There's a design. There's a proportionality. There's your phi, 1.618. It's all over your hand. Um, once again, so there's all this other stuff. How many people will see a star or an upside down star or whatever it is and immediately just run from that and say and be like, well, wait a second. Maybe, maybe the devil's up to his old tricks again. Maybe that's what's going on. How about this one? This is one. I, I get this two, two day, six, six, six. 666, that's the number of the devil. You got to stay far away from that number. If you relate 666 to anything but the devil, blah, 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 right? Okay, well, the problem is, is once again, people are not reading their Bible. And this is something I've talked about quite a bit, especially the last couple of years. Revelation 13, 18, here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, colon. Here is wisdom. This is wisdom. Listen, let him that hath understanding. Do you understand? You understand? Count the number of the beast, colon, stop, for it is the number of a man. It doesn't say who that man is, by the way. It just says it's a number of a man. And his number is 603 score and six. Well, like I said, a chapter later in Revelation 15, you read this. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire. A sea of glass, this is the firmament, the dome. This is where the people, this is where saints, right, People that achieved eternal life were upstairs in the canopy of the heavens and them that had gotten victory over the beast. They were victorious over this beast. That was what? Holding the number 666. Why? So that you would stay far away from it and not conquer it. Not look at 666 and be like, wait a second. All numbers were created by God. God made everything here. He made the number one and the number two and the number three and the number four and the number 1,872,654 and God made 666 and it was good. The devil wraps himself up in occult symbology so you will stay away from the keys to heaven. And I saw as it were a sea of glass mingled with fire and them that had gotten victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name stand on the sea of glass having the harps of God. They were victorious over this character that was holding the key to what? The entrance into heaven, in this sense. Numerically, you know, of course, symbolically. They had gotten victory over the beast. 
and over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, stand the sea of glass, having the harps of God. So once they were victorious, and they, just like St. Michael, just slayed that dragon. Well, that dragon's dead. So that dragon that was holding 666, what do they got now? They got the number. It says it right there. Not a chapter later. And what happens? Ah, they sing the song of Moses who broke the tablets because he was pissed off at the Israelites because they were not following the law. The servant of God and the song of the Lamb saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy way, thou King of saints. And this is why when Jesus was tempted of the devil three different times and he said, Go after yourself. What happened? Jesus was in command of his number, his name, Mark, image, the whole bit. Jesus was, Jesus gotten, had victory over the beast and Jesus victory over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name. And what do you find? 666 in the name of Jesus. Does that mean Jesus is the devil? No, it means Jesus did exactly what scripture says. He was tempted by him and he slayed that dragon. You also find it in the original Greek name of Jesus. Kyrios Jesus Christos. This is uh, 800, uh, 888, and uh, 1480. Uh, and that gives you 3,168. The proper divisors of 3,168 is 6,660. So you find this number, 666, related to both Greek and English. Where else do you find 666? doing, once again, basic um, mathematical functions of reducing numbers down, you find it in the equilateral triangle. The equilateral triangle. 60 degrees, 60 degrees, and 60 degrees. 6 plus 0 is 6, and 6 plus 0 is 6, and 6 plus 0 is 6, which means what? The equilateral triangle, when you use basic reduction methods, is 6, 6, 6. Well, where do we find that triangle? Where do we find the equilateral triangle? <laughs> Behind the head of God. That was in Europe. Oh, there's another one. And there's, a, there's another one. And then there's the triangle. All-seeing eye of God. What is it? Almost more often than not, equilateral triangle. All these places. Six, six, six. Six, six, six. Oh, there's another one. Oh, and there's another one. What do you think the Trinity is? One, two, three. What do you think the doctrine of Jesus is? A third, right? Once again, representing the number three. Trine, doctrine, okay? Um, what also is the Trinity? As we know, there it is again. Father, creator of the future, Jesus Christ, the preserver of the present, the Holy Ghost, the destroyer of the, the past, right? Once again, what is the, what is the, the blessings of the Holy Ghost? To, to purify, to take all of the lies, the distortions, the half-truths, the times that you were sinning, right? And washing it clean. It's a destroyer of all of that nonsense. And that's what the Trinity ultimately represents. Is there a you know duality here between the Father and the Holy? No, it all comes back into one. Just like we talk about, all into one, represented by the triangle. So, and the Trinity, of course, is you know the word Trinity is not in the Bible, but the Trinity is all over the Bible. 
Trinity, this is uh, 1 John 5, 7. For there are three... Uh, go, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. I don't think you can get more straight up than that to understand what, that, you know, number one, that the Trinity's clearly in the Bible. Um, not only that, we talked about what does the Trinity represent? As we just said, it's past, present, and future, ultimately becoming into the presence of, of Christ, the, the second person of the Trinity, which is the eternal presence of God. The now, eternal life has to include everything, has to include all time. That's the whole point. That's the whole point of the Trinity. There's many things we can talk about with the Trinity. This is just one of the main things, anyway. Um, boom. So when we talk about Revelation, uh, this is Revelation 1.8, and it says, this is Christ saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending. Okay, so let's go back to our... Um, where are we? Sorry. Let's go back to our... Pi is a mathematical metaphor for God. A circle is the beginning is the end. The alpha is the omega. So we say God, everything comes from God. Everything. The entire circle of creation, the sphere of creation, whatever you want to say, right? Everything comes from God because he is the beginning and the ending. The first and the last. Everything. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is right now, which was the past, and which is to come, the future, comma, the Almighty. That's the Trinity. And what's it? Which is, which was, which is to come, and these three are the Almighty. That's why you find 666 in time. 60 seconds in a minute, 60 minutes in an hour, and 24 hours in a day. 60 seconds in a minute, 60 minutes in an hour, and 24 hours in a day. 60 seconds, 6 plus 0 is 6. 60 minutes, 6 plus 0 is 6. 24 hours, 2 plus 4 is 6. 6, 6, 6. And of course, what is that serpent the devil? That old serpent the devil. Draco. Father time. Father time. Trying to keep you locked and strapped into the material world. Not back with the almighty God. All, you know, the, the eternality. It's trying to keep you strapped into the divisions. Constantly dealing with the good and evil, if you will. Father time is often associated with the planet Saturn. Hence the linguistic connection of Saturn and Satan. The Roman god of Saturn is, is excuse me, <laughs> let's try this again. Slow down. The Roman god of Saturn is related directly to the Greek god Kronos, with the word chronology being the root of the name Kronos. Chronology literally meaning the sequential order in which past events occur. So, um, and Saturn, father time, is a devourer of children. Find that in the Bible, which is the children of God. And of course, so this is, you know, your Saturn, your 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 Kronos, right? And so, um, and Saturn, there's Father Time trying to keep you strapped down here, strapped into the death. Not eternal life, strapped into death. Where death occurs, where the incorruptible actually happens. Corruption doesn't happen upstairs. It happens down here. This is that Albert Durer, right? I showed this the other night. 
There, this is called the night, death, and the devil. So there's the night, and he's got the word of God. He's got the helmet of salvation, the feet, you know, shod with the gospel of peace and the, the you know, uh, the shield of faith and whatever it is, all that sort of thing, right? He's got the six pieces of the armor of God on. And he's, you know, he's traveling to try to find that salvation. And he's surrounded by what? Behind him is a big goat figure, right? Gangly looking freaking thing, right? And then right to the right of him is what? Uh, the devil, clearly, looks like demonic as hell. Got a bunch of serpents, serpents there. And what's the devil holding up? An hourglass. An hourglass. So... There you go. Um, why is uh, Saturn, we see Saturn is the ruling planet of Capricorn is Saturn. So Capricorn now where, so this is, and Capricorn is a goat. So when we talk about why is the devil sometimes shown as a goat and why is it sometimes shown as a, as a serpent? Well, we'll talk about that. Well, once again, in the in the year, right, we have the um, Aries. Basically, this is where the equinox and this is the lamb. This is where the, the life is sprouting up and springing up and arising again. That's in Aries. That's the lamb. That's the ram. When And then it goes, as we know, the, just as the pattern, this is the story of the stars. This is the scripture in the stars. This is the sun. The sun tells a story every single year. The, the, the days get brighter and brighter. When it crosses that equinox, this is when there's the most light in the year. Right? This is when the light grows and grows and grows and grows in this sense, right? And that starts at Aries. And then uh, it falls in fall, representative once again of the fall of man, falling all the way down. And then it gets where, you know, just as we're getting into, you know, uh, October, November, December here, that's when we lose light. Things get darker and darker and darker and darker, right? And then we get to the point where the solstice, we have Christmas there, and all of a sudden that that light rises again. This is the birth of Christ. So why do we have Saturn, Satan, Father Time, represented as a, the de as, a, as a serpent? Number one, because of Draco, upstairs in the canopy. And then we also have to look upstairs again. And of course, Capricorn, cap, this is why I wear a cap, a cap on your head. Capricorn is um, the, the, the sea goat. It's the sea goat. Why is it in the sea? Because it's in the canopy of the stars above, the waters above, and it's a goat. And what's happening during this time? It's the darkest. It's the darkest it can possibly be. It's the death and rebirth of the year as well. So this is this is the darkness trying to keep you down in this sort of sense, right? And then what happens? Well, during December, you have this is Capricorn, the ruling of uh, the house, the ruling planet is Saturn, Satan. You have the goat, and then what happens? Well, the birth of Christ. Because guess what? The darkness. There's a light that darkness comprehended not. And it's Christ. And it's the goat sign. It's the darkest time of the year. Now, so hence why it's a goat. Uh, Capricorn is actually from, you can even see, um, there's the etymology there. Horn, head, cap, horn, head. Um, zodiac sign represented as a goat or half goat, half fish. Once again, why is it the sea goat? Because of the waters above. It's in the canopy of the stars, the waters above. Capri means she-goat from the Greek capros, boar, um, you know, basically a, a beastly creature. Uh, also means uh, Etrusian, uh, Etrusian, capra, burial place. And this is, notice, a ca capri pants. Do you know what capri pants are? Capri pants are these. Usually they're cut off at the knee or just cover the knee. In general, that's what capri pants are. And so 
we're saying, well, what does this have to do with anything? Was like, you know, what, what is, well, when we look at our zodiac man, what is the cap, capri corn? What's the goat? What is it? Your knees. Right? So, I want you to think about this. Now, one, number one, so everybody get that? This is your zodiac man. Aries is the head. The ram, the lamb, the head. Capricorn is your knees. The goat. Okay? Now, goats and sheep are, they're, you know, they're of the, goats, I'll just read this. Sheep and goats are closely related. Both are in the subfamily, uh, same subfamily, Capernae. And it is sometimes difficult to tell if a specific breed or strain uh, is a goat or a sheep. So they're very, they're related. They're different. They're, they're a different animal, of course. Um, both goats and sheep are hooved anim, uh, mammals or un, un, ungulates, ungulates. Um, uh, you know, etc. While sheep and goats are similar, they can be mated, though belonging to different genera in the subfamily, subfamily Capernae. Capernae, cap, right? What is Aries? It's your head. Well, you put on your head, a cap, right? Um, of the family Bovidae. So, so there's your Capricorn, which is your cap, and it's also your Capri, your knees. There's your knees. And so you have these two um, figures of the Zodiac, and they're both of a subfamily. They're related, in other words, right? So you have Aries at the top here and Capricorn at the bottom. Now, what happens when you uh, kneel and pray? So, you know, just like, you know, you go to, it's just like we went to all these churches in, in Europe and Germany and stuff like that, and they had the, the, the prayer thing there, right? And you put your knees down, and... You, you bow your head, you close your eyes, and you, of course you're, you know, praying. You, you might, you know, there's different ways you could pray, of course. You can, you know, speak the prayer or you can pray and meditate internally and that sort of thing. But so therefore you, you, put, the, you put the goat on the ground. So in other words, you put Saturn. Saturn is on the earth and the earth trying to keep you on earth, trying to keep you locked in the material realm. And Aries, the Lamb of God, is what? It's the highest point in your, in your body, in the temple that God has made. Aries is up here and the goat's down here, right? So when you pray, what do you do? Well, you bring your twins together. You bring the left and right of your hands together. And that's what you, and that's what your Zodiac man is. So therefore, those two animals that are related, that's the, and you know, you put in the, the goat, which is trying to keep you, Satan, trying to keep you in the material realm. And Aries, the lamb, is trying to get you up into the heavenly realm, upstairs. And you bring your, your twins together, your two hands, which is your shoulders, which is, you know, your entire arms, of course. Your arms are connected to your shoulders, obviously. And you bring those together in the act of prayer. And what are you doing? You're recognizing, just as we say, that all things come from God. You're merge, it's the alchemical marriage, the alchemical wedding, the androgenine. The, the hieros gamos, you're bringing all the differentiations, all the perceived dualities, bringing them back into one, killing that serpent too. Look at how many things, look at this serpent on the left there, serpent's on the top, they're standing on the serpent, just crushing the serpent, bringing all things united into one under what? God Almighty. And this is what we're talking about when we say that, uh, let me just show this here, you know, oh, there's the light and the darkness, oh, it comes from God. Uh, the, the day and night oh, it comes from God. Evening and morning comes from God. Notice it did, God didn't say here, like, created evil. Divided the waters above, waters below. Oh, so the heaven and the earth come from what? Oneness. 
So when you pray, there's a lot going on here. There's a lot more going on than most people realize. That is the act of bringing all things together, acting in goodness. Of course, that's why you're praying. You're, you know, acting in accordance with God's law and bringing in, which is morality. That's what we're doing here. It's a, this is a moral dimension, bringing it all into one. All right, what do you think? Oh, yeah, Jack Skellington. That, guy, that guy's pretty much got to go. Yeah, I saw his comment the other day. This is a church service. You'll respect the church service. I want to say thank you to Deborah Style Stilly. Thank you, Deborah Style, for um, your package. We really appreciate that. Stella, I'm trying for 666, but it won't let me. <laughs> I'll take 999. Thank you, Stella. Thank you so much. I just want to make sure I didn't miss any other. I'm sure I did because I've been yammering away here. Oh, the orthodoxy people are here. <sighs> Dead turrets. You can do mocking imitations of me all day when you say cats are evil, which they are. You have gone too far, Paige. I know. I love I love my cheapies. I love my sweet mama cheeps. You're right. And I'm not trying to do an impersonation of you. Love, love Dave. So... Um, okay, let me just scroll up here. Deborah Style, thank you so much for another beautiful sermon. I was down for a while, but I'm back up again. Awesome. Good to hear, Deborah. Thank you so much. I'm sure I missed a few others, so I apologize if I did. I saw a few, but I wanted to maintain my, uh, uh, but it is good yammering. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Karen B. Thank you, Mark Brotherson. Thank you, B. Mustard. Thank you, XRP, Hitman, Angers, Virginia Dare, Eric C. Um, I really appreciate all you. Drake, Draco Jones. Thank you. Mark Malone, this is a really great teaching moment of yours, Marty. Maybe your best, at least most fundamental as it relates to everyday life. My thesis is on this. We don't own good or evil. Own the choice. Yeah, okay, that's good. Lindsay Chapman, thank you so much. Brian Rose, I thank you all for being here. All right, that's going to do it for me. Um, if you get a chance, stop on over to GnosticAcademy.org and become a member. This only continues uh, if you allow it to continue, if I get the support. And it's just that simple. That's just how it works. So um, I will only keep this going if there's the support is there. So And I keep it super cheap. I haven't changed in six years. I, haven't, I, don't, I don't think I've changed. In fact, it's even cheaper now. Um, uh, it used to be 5 bucks a month. Now you can get uh, you know one time 14 bucks for three months. And you can just do a reoccurring or you can just do the one time and you can do a one-year tithing. And of course, there's donations and things like that. And please ring the bell for notifications. So uh, please support the work. Um, love what we do here and I'd like to keep it going. There's so much more to discover. Like I said, the next couple live streams, we're going to talk about symbolism 101. I want to talk about, let's talk about astrology. Why are we focused on astrology in general? What is astrology? It's the study of the stars. Why is it important? Is there really a lion up there? Is that really a serpent? No, obviously not. So what's the, you know, where do, where does astrology come from? Why, why is it, you know, how do we see it um, in, you know, used in uh, as the basis for religious thought uh, around the world? Uh, some of those things we'll cover. So um, I really appreciate everybody that's here. We're going to listen to a song on the way out. And it's um, um, Mike Patton and John Zorn. And John Zorn is, uh, he's a, he's a ruffian. So... But some of those ruffians actually make some good music. And Mike Patton is insane. But so since it's a ruffian and insane dude, I figured, ah, this is pretty appropriate for, uh, you know, the context of this lecture or this, um, this sermon. So 
All right, let's listen to some music. And yes, hit that like button. Please share this uh, around. Please share the work. And once again, like in the next couple weeks, uh, I should be up on, I'm sorry this was so long today as well. I should be up on Odyssey and BitChute and, and Rumble and all of that sort of stuff. And hopefully I'll figure out the, if somebody could help me, um, figure out the Rockfin live streaming and maybe stream to Odyssey as well. But definitely Rockfin and YouTube. So, and there's going to be a bunch of premium content up on Rockfin as well. And Rockfin... You know, um, you know, when you support people on Rockfin, you support like all the creators there, the way they have it set up. So it's it's pretty good. So, all right, guys, that's going to do it for me. May you always keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ onto eternal life. May his grace be with you all. Amen. Thank you all so much. All right, let's listen to some, this song is called Dostoevsky. And it's from the song project, John Zorn song project. And it's a, it's a beautiful song. It really is. And Mike Patton is just, the guy is just insane. His voice is just amazing. So anyway, all right. I will see you next Sunday. And, um, and uh, let's go do it. All right, GnosticAcademy.org. God bless everybody.
Sound of 